0: Hi, I'm Dr. Avanti Kumar Singh. In over 20 years of practicing both Western medicine and Eastern healing traditions, the most important thing that I've learned is that healing is a journey we take together. So on this podcast, I'll be demystifying Ayurveda and other integrated medicine, showing how these simple ancient practices are the keys to unlocking a healthy modern life. We are all healing catalysts because healing starts within. It starts with you, and it starts right now. This is a Soulfire production. Episode number 98. Hello, my friends. Welcome back to the Healing Catalyst podcast. So do you all remember a few years ago when kale was the new it vegetable? Well, apparently... Kale was then replaced by broccolini as the new it veggie. And then broccolini was replaced by Brussels sprouts. I guess vegetables are no different than celebrities, right? One year you're in and the next year you're out. Okay, joking aside, the constant food noise that we're bombarded with every day with new data and new studies and new opinions is enough to make anyone confused about what to eat to support their health. And if you're nodding your head right now thinking, yep, Avanti, that's me. Don't worry. I've got you. Today, we're continuing our exploration of food and our health with part two of this three-part Go Deeper series on the Ayurvedic plate that we are bringing to you all month this month in September, where I'm joined by my mentor, teacher, and friend, Chef Divya Alter. Today, we're getting into vegetables, fruits, nuts, and seeds. And in case you missed the first part of this series, it's linked in the show notes for you. As many of you know, Vivia has been on the podcast several times now, and her knowledge is very, very deep. Given her background, this is no surprise. Divya is the pioneering chef and author who's bringing Ayurveda cooking to the modern world. Originally from Bulgaria, she has nearly 30 years experience studying, practicing, and teaching Indian spiritual philosophy, yoga, Sanskrit chanting, and vegetarian cooking throughout India, the United States, and Europe. Vivia is also the author of two groundbreaking, beautiful, and I mean beautiful, cookbooks, What to Eat for How You Feel, and her new book, Joy of Balance, which is my absolute favorite of her cookbooks. She's also the chef restaurateur of Divya's Kitchen, an award-winning Ayurvedic restaurant in New York City and the creator of a line of Ayurvedic pantry goods. Divya has introduced the wisdom of Ayurveda to hundreds of thousands of people around the world. But her greatest passion is teaching. Over the last 13 years, she's worked with more than 20,000 students. And she is the founder of North America's first Ayurvedic nutrition and culinary training program, ENACT, which I'm also taking right now. In our conversation today, we discuss the food groups of vegetables, fruits, and nuts, and we get into the differing perspectives of Western versus Ayurvedic nutrition. We also dive into the various subgroups of vegetables and fruits, some tips on eating fruits for greater digestibility, and how to incorporate nuts and seeds into a balanced diet. Vivia also shares her cooking tips and tricks for each food group, so you don't want to miss this episode. And in case you missed part one of this series, we discuss the difference between medicinal and daily foods and the food groups of grains, lentils, and beans. And coming up next week in part three, we'll talk about herbs and spices, oils, dairy, and round out everything with a discussion of meat. Y'all, this series is so incredible. And I'm so incredibly grateful to Divya for so generously sharing her knowledge, her wisdom, and her time with us. I am thrilled to share this conversation with my mentor, teacher and friend, Chef Divya Alter, in part 2 of this three-part go deeper series on the Ayurvedic plate as we explore food and our health. So we're back with part 2 of talking about food groups from an Ayurvedic perspective. In case you missed the first part of this series, it's a three-part series. We've already talked about the idea of medicinal foods versus daily foods. We've talked about grains and lentils and beans. And today we're going to start by diving into vegetables, which is my favorite topic because I'm vegetarian. I love vegetables. And so Divya, I would love to know from you, you know, what are exactly are vegetables and what foods are included in this, in this group from an Ayurvedic perspective?
1: Hey, Avanti. Thank you so much for having me again. I love speaking with you. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I just jumped right into the yeah, topic. I know, but I, it's a wonderful topic because we hear so much about we, whether you're vegetarian or not, we all need to eat vegetables. Uh, and that's there not just in Ayurveda, but also in modern nutrition. Why? Because vegetables give us a lot of minerals, vitamins, Fiber, like many different essential nutrients, and no matter what your diet is, we all need to have vegetables in in our diet. And I I grew up in Bulgaria, and Bulgaria is known for its delicious vegetables. I mean, the soil is so fertile, and everything is so everything that grows there is just so tasty. <laughs> and and I grew up, my family, we always had a, even if it's just a small yard or small piece of land my mom now has a two acre garden but we always grew I grew up growing vegetables and it helped me to appreciate not just eat eating vegetables but also how they grow and how much effort it takes to to grow vegetables and all other kinds of food so and also we were ferment vegetables for the winter or preserve them or dry them. So there's so many things that you can do with vegetables. And um, yeah, so I love talking about vegetables.
0: <laughs> yeah, I know. I do too. I know from an Ayurvedic perspective, there's a way that you can look at the different like groups of vegetables yes. within it. But so, what is sort of the Ayurvedic perspective on vegetables? Yes, nutrition, you know, nutrients, though that's important. But what else do you think, from an Ayurvedic perspective, makes them so important in the diet?
1: Yeah. So, Ayurveda classifies them as as a group of plants, right? So, there are different types of plants, and the the vegetables for, fall into a general bucket of say of plants. And then it's interesting because Ayurvedic texts classify vegetables in six or seven different groups, and I'm happy to go through them today. And I noticed that these classifications are different than the modern classifications. So modern classifications of vegetables, for example, that we used to are cruciferous vegetables like cabbage, cauliflower, broccoli. There's so many radish. There are so many types of cruciferous bok choy. but then there is nightshades, that's a category, right? So this is more depending on their chemical composition and 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 family group. But so potatoes, tomatoes, eggplants, peppers, these fall in the nightshades. And then there are other there are leafy vegetables, they're sometimes salads are put in one bucket. So pods, something that's in a pod form. In Ayurveda it's a little different. Classifications based on the part of the plant that's being used and sometimes you can have one plant that can give like like for example leaves roots fruits they can all come from one plant but they will be put in different categories of vegetables so this the six so i would say seven categories of vegetables are leafy greens then flowering vegetables Fru- fruity vegetables, something that's the fruit of the plant, stems, tubers, and rhizomes. So that's the root. Tubers and rhizomes is one, and roots is another one. So roots, tubers, rhizomes, they, they're both underground. And then there is another category that's mushrooms. So mushrooms fall in, they're listed differently, but usually at the end. That's the last group and keep in mind that whenever ayurveda lists foods they always start with the easiest to digest the list on top of the list is also always the ones that that are easiest to digest and it grows into more and more difficult to digest right that's can i stop you for one second cuz
0: i want to i want to emphasize something that you mentioned which is so important is that in ayurveda we classify vegetables by what part of the vegetable we're using. And therefore, if a vegetable has multiple parts that we can use, it'll be put in those different categories. That's really important because that is very different than in Western nutrition, because a vegetable is put into a category and that's it. And so then it becomes a very much, this is always good for you or always bad for you, depending on your body composition or sort of your your preferences, your allergies, whatever you want to call it, right? Your sensitivities. And so somebody might say, I can't take tomatoes ever. I can't take potatoes ever, Mm -hmm. whatever it is, because they are a nightshade. However, and I'm just giving an example, right? There might be a part of the vegetable that you actually can tolerate that also might be good for you. So I think that that's a really important point you made because Again, it comes back to this idea in Ayurveda that nothing is good or bad. It's all about you, the person, your uh, composition, sort of your your prakriti, the, the energetic composition that you were born with, whatever's going on for you, any imbalances that are happening, the time of year, the time of life. There's so many different things. And so it is very hard in Ayurveda to always say that this food is not good for me or this food is good for me. Yes. So I just wanted to emphasize that. I think that's a really, really important point. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Thank you for highlighting this. Yes, because it's again, and I see this, I see that sometimes people who start kind of dabbling into Ayurveda, I mean, I'm still dabbling into Ayurveda, but. But like when you first come in contact with Ayurveda and you learn about the doshas, vata, pitta, kapha, and then you learn about how certain foods increase vata, increase pitta, increase kapha, or the opposite decrease. So then sometimes people, they apply the same kind of modern nutrition mindsets to Ayurveda and they say, so I have high vata or vata constitution, more on the airy type, so I will not eat cabbage and cauliflower till the rest of my life. And <laughs> And, and all of a sudden you're you kind of it, and it has a psychological effect. all of a sudden you you're only thinking about the limitations of food and and recipes and it can become kind of first of all rigid. you become very rigid in following Ayurveda, but also you can you can have cauliflower, but which part of the cauliflower how do you prepare it uh, at what in what season and all that? And even if you have predominantly vata, you can still have cauliflower. So I explain this in my books and my master classes because I think that's a common misunderstanding for people getting into Ayurveda.
0: Yeah. Which is also why I think this discussion, this three part series that we're doing on food groups, is so fascinating and so important because it does allow for a discussion that is different than Western nutrition. Again, this is another perspective the Ayurvedic perspective. But what I find is that the Ayurvedic perspective is so, so forgiving in the way of it allows for so much movement. It allows for you to move with how you're feeling, what your imbalances are, the time of season, the time of life. And so nothing is absolute, which I really appreciate. Again, it's tapping into that inner wisdom of how are you feeling? I love the the name of your first book because I think it sums up Ayurveda in general, but especially the food component, the diet component of what to eat for how you feel, which is exactly how I talk about. I mean, I think most of us who are Ayurvedic practitioners we talk about food. It's like how are you feeling? So I think that that's what is so fascinating about this discussion we're having about these different food groups because it just gives you a different perspective. And opens up your mind a little, you know, about how to think about these different food groups.
1: Yeah. And it then it makes it easier for us to decide what to eat. Right. Because that can be Mm -hmm. that can be a difficult task sometimes. It's like, oh, my God, I don't know what to eat anymore. (laughs) So learning more about the foods, the properties of different groups of foods, it just makes it easier for us. That's why we're doing this. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. so back to vegetables you want to get into the different groups? Yeah, let's do it. Okay, so the first one is the leafy greens. And leafy greens, so think about, just picture the leaves of a plant. And there are many different vegetables that are leafy. They're leaves. Some um, very popular in America is the kale uh, as, a, as a healthy vegetable. And then there's so many different types of spinach alone. There are different types of spinach different types of kale even different types of chard I love broccoli rabe that's one of my favorite it, it's more it's more bitter but then you have colored greens and you have mustard greens and I love going to the farmers market there is the Norwich Meadow Farms and when you go there to their stand they have about 20 different types of leafy greens alone they have two types of amaranth greens and different types of arugula, and there's so many different, but cabbage. So cabbage also falls into category, this category because it's leafy. So cabbage is also a cruciferous vegetable. Um, yeah, so there are many different leafy, like Brussels sprouts also, leafy greens. So leaves in general, they're easier to digest. However, they can be very aggravating, increasing for Vata constitution, because by nature, they have they're very air airy, right? They're very light. They and also they tend to be bitter. So a lot of the leafy greens have predominantly bitter or astringent taste. And so these are foods that can easily increase vata, especially when you're when they're raw. So all the salad leafy, little different lettuces and all that, these are also leafy greens, leafy vegetables. So raw leafy greens are difficult to digest. And That's why in Ayurveda, we always recommend to lightly sauté them. So when you buy, let's say you buy a bunch of spinach or a bunch of kale, wash it really well because (laughs) there are always little pieces of dirt or sand in them. And there is nothing more frustrating. You'd make a delicious dish of leafy greens and it's so well-flavored and delicious. And then you have the sandy, grainy feeling and then like, ah, so wash them really well. And I usually drain them a little bit, and then I chop them or tear them, depending on the type of leafy green, and then saute them in a little bit of olive oil or ghee. And just by sauteing them, there, is, there are different oxalates. I mean, you're the scientist and the chemist, of Auntie. maybe you can explain what the oxalates do. But in my experience also, they, they're just in raw leafy greens, they're much higher and they cause a lot of agitation in the gut. So, uh, just by lightly sauteing them, or you can add them to your kitchen at the end of cooking, cook them that way, then the leafy greens become much easier to digest. What's your experience with cooking leafy greens and, or eating them versus eating them raw? Because all these green smoothies and all that is very yeah. Still popular.
0: Yeah. I find that cooking them is much better. I mean, I think it's just easier to digest. You're adding a fat source. You add the spices, and suddenly it's medicinal because there's that medicinal piece because you're adding spice medicine in a fat that's going to deliver it to the tissues better. So I think there's just so many benefits to doing it that way. I enjoy, you know, leafy greens that are cooked. What I find interesting is that your definition, again, the Ayurvedic definition of leafy greens includes what we would call a cruciferous vegetable of cabbage or Brussels sprouts, right? And leafy greens includes not just the dark leafy greens, but also salad greens, right? They're all in the same category because they're the leaves. So I think it just expands how you look at leafy greens, right? which which i think is really important and are you and these are considered daily foods in in general leafy greens are daily foods correct
1: yes yes yeah. so Vitamisha told me like we need to eat something green every day because it's they're rich in chlorophyll so, and all these essential minerals and vitamins are just very important for us and but he said just alternate the green so in my first book i have this really nice soup that i learned from vidy mishra we call it creamy green protein soup. And he said, like, this is really good for building the blood, like for anemia or just in general. It's a blood builder, this recipe. And it's also high in protein. So it's very satiating and it's delicious. But it's all green. I mean, it's so green. <laughs> Your poop will be green the next day.
0: <laughs> but, yeah, the,
1: exactly. but, but, the, but so he said, so you can, you can make this even every day if you need it, but just change the greens so alternate the greens don't eat the same green every day and and just to come back to this like having green like raw green smoothies Mm. and also i mean first of all they're raw very vata increasing they're cold eat drink this first thing in the morning especially on a cold day you will feel so imbalanced but and then the other problem with these smoothies is that it's such a mishmash of Incompatible foods. You put a banana for sweetness and creaminess. You add, uh, I don't know what else they add to it, goji berries for whatever. And because you're thinking about the chemical components of the nutrients, you're not thinking about how they digest together. So a lot of people experience, they think, oh, wow, this is so nutritious. Yes, but you're not digesting it fully. You're getting bloated and gassy afterwards. And then, or it's giving you constipation or whatever. And then it means also you're not getting all the nutrients. So with leafy greens, the best way to absorb the nutrients and benefit from them is to cook them. Lightly cook them. They only take maximum five minutes. They cook so quickly. Right. Yeah.
0: Yeah. As far as the green smoothies go, I know this is like a conversation in wellness that's going on all the time, you know, green smoothies, not smoothies. I think the perspective I have is the following is that has, it has to be at the right time of the year if you're going to do it at all. So it's not something you're doing in the winter, in the colder months. It has to be in the warmer months. And you really have to be careful about what you're putting into them. Again, like you were mentioning, it can't be incompatible foods. So you need to make sure that you're not mixing fruits and vegetables, adding dairy, all these things, because those are all incompatible. So that would be the second thing. And then the third thing is, is use them medicinally in the sense of like, this is not something you're having every day, all the time. You know, Maybe if, if there's some specific reason for a few days that you want to have that, okay, that's great. Have it. Mm-hmm.
1: And, and notice how it works. Notice how your body responds. Notice how you feel. Yeah.
0: Right. I was just about to say, make sure you're very aware of how you're feeling. And if you're not feeling well, then that tells you, you should probably back off of them. If you're feeling great, that's great. It's helping you detox something. But again, you're not doing this for a long period of time. You know, we in Western culture tend to hang on to something and think a little is good, a lot is better. Yeah. That is not the way Ayurveda works. <laughs> so, you know, I'm not giving an exact, exact like you know, answer on the green smoothies because, again, I think it depends on the person, what's going on with them. But just become aware of what time of year, what ingredients, and how you feel and why you're using it.
1: Yes. Yeah. Um well thank you. Yeah, thank you for clarifying this. I still I wouldn't I wouldn't put spinach in my smoothie. I wouldn't have raw spinach. It's just like like it can lead to kidney stones if you eat a ton of it. But yeah, I wouldn't I wouldn't risk it. I've done this before. I made it tasty, enjoyable, but it in the then it didn't it just didn't feel right. So Yeah. Sometimes we insist on doing the wrong thing just to learn the hard way. So that's okay too. It's part of the the learning.
0: Right. You're going to learn, right? And so, yeah. Okay. So what's the next category? So we went through leafy vegetables now, leafy
1: greens now. So the next one is flowering vegetables. So when I say flowering, what comes to mind, Avanti? What comes to your mind? Fennel? Is fennel a flowering? Is that the flower of the fennel that gives the fennel seeds, yes. <laughs> so you, you would use okay. that flower to make fermented cucumbers. You know, the the curds, the curds bees, mm-hmm. uh, oh, what was the English name for this? Mm-hmm. Yeah, the cultured cucumbers. Are artichokes? Artichokes, yes. Artichokes are a flowering okay. vegetable. Yes. And if you mm-hmm. leave them to grow too long, they turn into these beautiful purple flowers. So uh, yes, artichokes. But cauliflower cauliflower is considered a flowering vegetable. broccoli ah. is a, fl- a flowering broccoli vegetable. okay it that... has florets yeah. um, mm-hmm. and then of course, we Asian cultures they use banana flowers um, and then the zucchini flowers are very popular in Italian cooking, and there are a lot of edible flowers like nasturtiums you can get easily or uh borage i love i love the blue borage flowers or so violets and even marigolds can be edible so jasmines, i have jasmine growing on my balcony so i, I make jasmine water with it i just mm-hmm. put put the flowers in the water and let let them sit for a few hours and it's delightful so uh yeah so these are these are flowers but also more like vegetables something that you can use in a meal these are some of the few ones. Rapini, you know, the, the, the flowers of the broccoli rabe, that's another one, but right. The zucchini blossoms are really beautiful. Mm -hmm. I just don't like deep frying them like most people do, but, but yeah. Right.
0: And these are, these are easier to digest because again, we're starting with the top. I I'm thinking of it as like, you start at the top of the, the plant and go down And as you go down, they're harder to digest is the way I think about it.
1: Yeah, that's a really visual, good visual way to think about it. Yes. And also when you think about the flowers, yes. But Uh, yes, when you think about the flowers, a lot of the flowers turn into fruits, right? So, So the same plant... Like a lot of people use zucchini blossoms because zucchini grows so fast. And sometimes you just have way too many zucchinis to eat and they spoil quickly. So I think in Italy, people are just like, oh, yeah, let's just pick the blossoms because before they turn into zucchinis and, and do something with them. In the West, especially, we don't use a lot of... I mean, yes, we use artichokes, broccoli, cauliflower. These are probably the most common flowering vegetables that we use. And again, I would also cook them. Well, nasturtium the flowers, you don't have to cook, but especially broccoli, cauliflower, artichokes. Again, broccoli, cauliflower, also cruciferous vegetables, very airy, very gassy. So cooking them diminishes those those this irritation. Yeah, yeah.
0: right, right. So that's so interesting because in Western nutrition, they're considered difficult to digest as cruciferous vegetables. But in Ayurvedic nutrition, if they're prepared correctly, they're considered easier to digest.
1: Yes, yes. And I don't think yeah. artichokes were growing in, in the lands of India when the sages wrote the Ayurvedic text. So artichokes are not mentioned in the Ayurvedic text, but they're fantastic vegetable. So again, they described the vegetables that were growing locally and and also that's just a general principle, like use your local vegetables sometimes I'm curious, like the other day I went to the to an Asian market, and Vadimisha always spoke a lot about Nagaimo. Nagaimo is a ty- type of tuber, a root vegetable, very common in. Japan. He's like, Yes, Nagaimo is so good for you because it's a little slippery. It has those binding effects. And I was like, Yeah, I've never really tasted Nagaimo. Let me I just bought a piece just to try it because I was curious, but who knows where it came from and when how when it was how many months or a month ago or whatever, how long ago it was picked. So in general, for health, it's always good to Purchase freshly grown, like local vegetables, ideally from the farmers' market because they usually freshly pick and um, most of them are locally also organically grown. So, uh, yeah, that's that's one principle in terms of choosing vegetables. Sure, for sure.
0: Okay, so let's move to the next uh, group of vegetables, which is stalk and stem belt vegetables.
1: Yeah, so that's the third third group: stalks and stems. So just imagine the parts of the plant that are stalks and stems. So what comes to mind, (laughs) Avanti?
0: Of all of those flowering vegetables. So broccoli stems. There's not really stems on cauliflower. There are little stems on cauliflower, I guess. Fennel, the the stalks of fennel. Mm -hmm. Those are the things that come immediately. Bamboo. Is bamboo a stem?
1: That could be, yes. Yeah. Yeah, that could work. Okay bamboo shoots yes like i'm thinking like rhubarb you can i saw rhubarb Mm. at the market the other day yeah and even like lotus stems you know that's like a delicacy in asian cooking or even if you just let's say you buy chard and you separate the leafy greens from the stems which i usually do and i would slice the stems thinly and saute them first and then add the leaves because the stems take a little longer to cook so, yeah, these are some really good ideas. Shines and scallions, I mean. Yeah. And what are
0: stems good for from an Ayurvedic perspective, like for the body nutritionally? So
1: it's interesting because they usually have some kind of detox effect. So e- even in microbiotic cooking, they, they're known. Like in spring, you can get fiddlehead ferns. Oh, I love that. They, they're, they're bitter. And a little astringent and a little slippery, but they're all kind of because they're mostly bitter and astringent, they have detox properties. It different vegetables would have different properties, but in general they're used for their yeah, for their detoxification.
0: Right. To carry things. The way I think about that, I mean, having taken your course is that I just picture that the stems transport things. From the top to the bottom of the plant, and so they're moving things. So that's how I think about it. That they're helpful to move things in the body as well. When when you have them, yeah, exactly. It's like, just a visual I have. No,
1: no, but it's like asparagus, for example, is very diuretic, and mm-hmm. it really helps the mm-hmm. kidneys. And it's uh, and with its astringent taste, asparagus is kind of tridoshic. It's not too astringent, but it has that it has that property to move. That's true. Yeah. And by the way, you know, like when you buy asparagus, you don't have to put it in the fridge. You can just like really trim the bottoms of the spears, maybe half an inch, trim them and then just put them in a vase or a glass of water or something and just a little bit of water, like an inch, not more than water. And they will stay fresh for a few days. So you don't have to refrigerate on your asparagus. counter. Okay. Yeah.
0: And what is the best way to cook these? Again, cooking these to break them down to make them more digestible, right? Yes. Because of the fiber yeah, in yeah. the stems and stalks?
1: Many of them are quite fibrous, like celery. I mean, think about the fibers of the celery stalks. Sometimes we peel them just to get rid of the fibers. Or the, the fennel stalks, they can be very fibrous as well. I, I never, I, if I use fennel stalks, for like, like to saute them or do something else with them in a vegetable dish, I would usually peel them just to get rid of those very strong fibers because they, otherwise they get stuck in your teeth and it's not pleasant to eat them. But otherwise, I would save the stalks, like even the bottoms of the celery part, you know, or the tips of the celery, like the pieces or the bottoms of the asparagus. I would save those and make a nice fresh vegetable stock with them. So in this way, utilize them without having to throw them away. I do the same with the stems of the, like sometimes I would use parsley for, just the leaves for garnish. And then I save the stems and either make a tea with them or, or add them to a stock. And then basil stems, like all these herbal stems you can also use. Got it. The next category is fruiting vegetables. Fruiting vegetables, yes. I have friends, and sometimes they'll say, "Yeah, tomato is not a vegetable; it's a fruit." (laughs) And I'm like, "Yes, it's the fruit of the plant. (laughs) It is (laughs) of the vegetable plant." Yeah, (laughs) yeah. No, totally. Yeah.
0: So let's see. This is this is a big group. Yeah, from an Ayurvedic perspective, what's in this group of fruiting vegetables?
1: So think about anything that's growing on a plant that we pick. As a fruit. So zucchini and all kinds of summer squash. I mean, all squashes basically are fruits. Fruiting vegetables. They're not fruits, fruits, but they're fruiting vegetables. Mm, Like also like green beans, different varieties of green beans. The fennel bulb. So that's kind of, it's a bulb, but it's above ground. So it's like more like a fruit. Mm, And then bitter melon, cucumbers. Bittermelon and cucumbers, they kind of grow very similar uh, in a similar way. And of course, the tomatoes, eggplants, peppers, avocado also is a fruit. It's interesting because avocado, you can make sweet dishes with it. You can also make savory dishes with it. So it's a kind of fruit that goes both ways. Like we rarely use okra, which is another fruiting vegetable to make a dessert, right? But there are a few like we could use like uh, avocado or butternut squash. You can make dessert with it. You can make pumpkin pie or something like that. So zucchini also, because zucchini is sweet, it also has a stringency to it. You can make zucchini bread. So, you, so the vegetables that are more of a fruiting vegetables, more of a sweet taste, you can use them for both savory and, and sweet dishes, dessert dishes. Right,
0: and these are definitely a daily food group. I think most of them, except maybe like bitter melon. Bitter melon yeah. is not. I know. That yeah, yeah, the sure. bitter melon. That's very medicinal. <laughs> but a lot of the squashes and the other these are very much things that you can eat on a daily basis. And so, from an Ayurvedic perspective, what is it that they provide in the diet? A lot of these fruiting vegetables as a category yeah
1: i mean they're great source of fiber and also Mm -hmm. different different types of vitamins so the leafy greens have a lot more like minerals the 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 fruiting vegetables are richer in vitamins so they're also different colors you we all know when you have different colors you have different types of nutrients so um, so i think the fruiting vegetables are more also a lot of them are more like building foods they, they build the tissues in the, in the body, especially the ones that are more of sweet taste, like zucchini and all different types of squashes, winter squashes, summer squashes. They're very building foods. Uh, okra also is great. Okra is also kind of detoxifying. Okra is, is a really powerful vegetable. Very, very nutritious. But bitter melon, yeah, bitter melon is definitely very detoxifying.
0: Yeah. And a lot of them have a lot of water content. So they're very hydrating vegetables. You know, these fruiting vegetables, yes. they give a lot of hydration, I think, to the body. Um, and so they can also be cooling. Right. But again, it's all about what you're combining them. Yeah, with.
1: Yeah, yeah. So so tomatoes are not really cooling, but peppers, hot peppers, they're fruiting. Even the mm-hmm. chili peppers, they're still the fruit of the plant. Right. the very heating. So it, it all depends. Usually, usually foods that are either pungent or sour, like vegetables, mm-hmm. they would be more heating. They will have more, produce more heat in the body.
0: So what's interesting is that in this group, there's quite a few nightshades, what we call nightshades in Western nutrition. And, you know, nightshades have, there's all this talk about nightshades and how, you know, a lot of people shouldn't be eating nightshades or. so. What's your perspective on that? Because this is part of the fruiting vegetables group.
1: Yes. So eggplants, peppers, tomatoes. Yes. They're nightshades. I grew up with them. I cook really amazing dishes with them. (laughs) I stopped eating them. What was it like 10 years ago? Maybe a little more regularly eating them because I had really bad autoimmune disease and I had inflammation and pain all over my body. And then I learned about how nightshades, inflammatory foods, how, how they have neurotoxins, chemicals in them. Like, I'm not a chemist like you, but I, I remember nicotine stuck with me because even even when you look at the eggplant plant and the tobacco plant, you can tell that they're the same, they kind of cousins. So yeah, uh, so these chemicals in these vegetables can increase inflammation. So when you look at anti-inflammatory diets. They all recommend avoiding the nightshades. And I think the problem also is that people eat them all year round. But if you eat them seasonally and not every day, (laughs) and if you don't have chronic inflammation, that's okay. But if you have chronic inflammation or you're struggling with any kind of chronic disease, then I would suggest just try, like I felt a big difference after I stopped and after a month, about a month, I felt a big difference of like, I felt a much more relief with my inflammatory response. So, uh, but I have to confess it's tomato season now. You go, (laughs) you you go to the market and they have these really ripe, yeah. Oh, heirloom pink sweet tomatoes. I buy them and I eat them once a week when they're in season. And I really enjoy them because I grew up with them. Right. And so I love what you just said. It's such a beautiful point
0: because again, yes, nightshades are more inflammatory. They are. But again, it's considering what is going on with you. What's your disposition? What imbalances? What is going on with you? Chronic inflammation. Okay. So then I'm not going to eat them. But then also thinking about if they're in season, you know what? It's okay to have them and enjoy them. I also think this a big piece of this is also how do you regard the food? If you look at a food and you say, it's going to cause me inflammation, instead of looking at it the way you did, I went to the farmer's market. There's this beautiful heirloom tomato. I'm going to enjoy it. I don't believe that it will cause inflammation if you eat it once a week or even twice a week during the summer in, in in the height of the season.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, if you're in good, yes, of course. If you're in good health, yes. But if you have really bad arthritis and all that, the tomato, you'll be in pain the next day, no matter how much you enjoy it. So again, check in to see where you're at. And I know that some people like my mom, I love my mom so much. And she grows the most delicious tomatoes in her garden. And then she cans them. She makes tomato sauce for the winter. Like she makes all these things with like dips and things for the winter with the eggplants and peppers and tomatoes in her garden and they're delicious but and she has really bad arthritis but i can't tell her she can't stop eating them it's just she's been eating them her whole life and and it's something that she cannot change and i'm like that's okay let me give you a cream for you for your joints or something (laughs) just to relieve the pain it's not going to go away but Mm -hmm. at least it will relieve you um So you just have to see where you're at. Yeah, where you're at and what your your health goals are like that. Okay, so the next group, we're going deeper. We're going underground now.
0: (laughs) Yes, we are. Yeah, so this group is tubers, rhizomes, and roots. Yeah. So the three kinds of root vegetables.
1: Yes, and they can get really confusing. So it's like, which one is a tuber? Which one is a rhizome? Which one is a root? And these are like subcategories of root vegetables and it depends on the distinction is according to how they grow. So tubers, they grow like many pieces in one. So, so it's like, think about potatoes. If you ever uprooted a potato plant, you will see that there are many potatoes under growing under one plant. So that's a tuber. Sweet potatoes grow like that. Uh, taro roots, my substitute for potato. Kikama grows like that or sunchokes like the Jerusalem artichoke. Um, so these are tubers. So you think about one plant, many, many pieces of vegetables. So these are, so it's always good to peel those. They're Obviously, they're, they're more seasonal in the winter. Also, because they're heavier. So, see, I mean, nature is so perfect. Roots are heavier to digest if you compare them to leaves. So, and they re- usually, a lot of the roots are harvested toward the end of summer and they're easily stored through the cold season, through the winter when you store them properly. So, and in the winter, we tend to have stronger digestifier because. That's how the body works. When it's cold outside, our body produces more heat, digestive fire. So they kind of ground us. When it's cold, we need something heavier, something to ground us. And that's what root vegetables do. And you might notice that you crave sweet potatoes a lot more or you enjoy them a lot more in the fall and winter than in, in spring and summer. Definitely. I definitely do. Yeah, yeah. And they're not, I mean, yeah. They're also more seasonal then in terms of mm-hmm. when we harvest them. And then rhizomes. So the rhizomes grow. They grow shoots, but they grow horizontally. So imagine like a ginger root. It will, I don't know how to explain it. It's one root, but it has different shoots. They are all connected to the base of the root. And you can actually buy fresh ginger with the stems and the leaves at the farmer's market in New York City right now. And it, I love this. It's fresh ginger is so supple and delicious. And, and then turmeric. Turmeric grows that way too. It's a rhizome. The, the lotus root uh, grows that way. So galangal used in Asian cooking. So these are some rhizome ideas. They're very strong. Rhizomes are very strong. They're very medicinal. That's why we use them more like a spice for flavor. Yeah. We don't make dish with the main ingredient being ginger. <laughs> it's... So, so that's the rhizomes. And then the roots, it's easy to remember. The root is one root per plant, unlike the tubers, which are many roots per plant. So think about carrots. Or beets. You just pick it and you just have one piece of vegetable per plant. Um, rutabaga. You know, all these different parsnips, turnips, celery root, the different types of radishes. They're all there. And, and radish, for example, like daikon radish is very highly regarded in Ayurveda. The thin, smaller varieties are best. So don't leave the daikon radish grow so much that it becomes really fat. That's That will imbalance all energies in your body. But the, the thin daikon radishes are balancing for every, every body type. But also, you know, the text describe the leaves of the daikon radish. Muli. Muli is called in Hindi. The leaves are extremely delicious and medicinal. So when I buy not just the daikon radish, the red radishes, you know, when I buy a bunch of radishes, no matter what the variety is, I separate the greens and I rinse them and I drain them really well. Maybe wrap them in paper towel or something. Keep them separately because they spoil quickly. And I, if I either use them right away or I cook them, I don't throw out the radish greens as well. So the beet greens also, beet greens are extremely nutritious. Don't throw them out. Parsnip greens, you can totally cook those too. But don't cook potato greens, please, or tomato greens. These are quite toxic, actually. Right? Yeah. It's funny that you talked
0: about daikon radish, mooli. We, when I was little, my mom and dad had a garden behind our house, and they grew mooli, zucchini, and tomatoes. And and uh, I always get the Hindi names and the English names, so I have to switch back and forth. Hanya, yeah, which is cilantro mm-hmm. and mint. Yes those were the five things that they grew because they grew really like just abundantly. But I remember when I was younger, I didn't like muli because it's a strong radish taste to it. But it was like my parents enjoyed it so much. So I I have memories of, of the daikon radish growing up. Okay.
1: So that is all of the, that's all of the vegetable groups correct Yeah. so i mean let's talk a little bit about mushrooms because i get a, i don't know about you i get a lot of questions about mushrooms yes i do too so mushrooms are listed as the last category in some texts and so they consider the hardest to digest really heavy to digest i mean just think about the texture of the mushroom and also the way it grows so it, because it grows it's like a like, fungi like a fungi with you know grows in dark places <laughs> usually not very clean places so it's not considered like a sattvic vegetable in the sense that raises the consciousness so it's kind of mushrooms are usually recommended more medicinally just like they used in chinese medicine uh and there are different types of so many different types of mushrooms but uh, in general The white type of mushroom is listed in Ayurveda as the best. So from what was growing in the area, the mushrooms that they study in the area back then, they say say the white ones are the best, but still they're like the heaviest type of vegetable to digest. Notice also, like I sometimes will eat something with a mushroom, especially if we're traveling and I don't have a lot of vegetarian options and usually in a restaurant they would have put mushrooms in vegetarian options because it's kind of, it gives nice texture, it has beautiful flavor, but I always notice how I get this like dull sensation in my stomach because I feel, wow, this is really heavy. <laughs> it takes a while to digest it. Um, so if you don't have very strong digestion, if you have low energy, if you're feeling depressed or kind of lingering more on the lower frequencies <laughs> of your being, then I would say avoid mushrooms because they're not going to uplift you. Right. Well, you know, what's been interesting about
0: mushrooms is that they're very much, I mean, in Ayurveda too, a medicinal food, especially as I'm going through this cancer healing journey, mushrooms are medicinal yes. for cancer. And so I have been actually not eating them so much cooked because I also find that I don't react very well to them. I actually love them. I always have since I was a kid, but I'm very aware of how I feel if I have mushrooms and I don't feel great. So I have been doing some supplementation of some mushrooms, but it's interesting. I've been very, very measured about when I'll do it. So I'm not just doing it blanket throughout my whole treatment. I did it very specifically during. um, the time of chemotherapy and then I was off of it. I'm doing it very, very specifically right now during time of radiation. I'll do it for three weeks and then I'll get off of okay. it. Because I know it's medicinal for cancer, but it also doesn't make me feel well. Mm-hmm. So it's it's been an interesting journey that way. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> for me. So you
1: see they're there to help you in this way. Exactly. So I mean, I would say if you have like weak digestion, which happens during cancer treatments. You can also get the medicinal benefits just by by cooking them and then just drinking the water rather than eating the vegetable itself, because then eating the vegetable itself can will be m- much more heavy on digestion. And then if you don't break them down fully, then it causes blockages and then you don't want to blocking clogging foods when you any any time of of, of your life, but especially when you're going through a treatment.
0: Right. Which is why I'm doing, you know, the capsule form because Mm. I think I'm digesting it better. So it's interesting. I think the point of me bringing this up is not about, you know, when you should take it or, you know, giving advice on that. It's more that becoming aware of how any of these foods, any food group, any vegetable, any specific fruit, anything, how it makes you feel is really important. It's really important to be aware of that and to note that. That is so much a part
1: of what Ayurveda is, right? Yes. It's how do you feel when you have it? Yeah, so we welcome every plant, every kind of vegetable. We welcome it to our life whenever we need it. We're not, and that's what I, you know, when you actually read the texts, especially when you study the, the classical Ayurveda texts with a good teacher, which I highly recommend because the translations are not always the best when you study and you'll notice that the sages wrote these texts without, there was no judgment. They just, they wrote them like scientists. It's like, this is what it does. This is what it does. They're not like, they were not marketing, like, here is the super mushroom that everybody should have because it has this, 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 and this chemical. And, you know, they were just observant with, in a neutral state of mind, they were just Describe. this is what it does. this is when we recommend that you use it. this is when we recommend that you don't use it. and, and this is how you, you can create recipes with it. So I like this. it's non-judgmental. It, it's kind of from an observer's point of view, which I think it's important because there is no point of being fanatical about any kind of food, uh, Ayurvedic food in general because that's not what Ayurveda is. I agree. I agree.
0: And we're going to move on to fruits now. Yeah.
1: Yes. I don't think there is an end to how deep you can go into food groups, individual ingredients. Ayurveda gives us the blueprint, it gives us the foundation for looking at food in a different way. So we're going beyond nutrition facts here. We're going, we're discussing different food groups in terms of what are the attributes how do they act in the body? How are they being digested? How do they affect different doshas? This is such a, to me, it's more personal. It's a more personal way to relate to food. And also it's a lot deeper way to relate to food.
0: Yes, absolutely.
1: And it's, it's personal, but at the same time, it's
0: so all encompassing in the sense that So many of the things that we talk about, you can apply to so many people, right? In general, like, and we're talking about many specifics, but we're also talking about some general things to think about. And again, adding this different perspective, an added perspective through the lens of Ayurveda of these food groups. So it's a very different perspective in many ways from a Western perspective. And it's something that you have to sort of take a little time to consider. But once you start to look at food in this way, it changes everything. It's been profound for me, you know, on my whole journey, but especially during the culinary and nutrition training that I've been with you, because I'm getting a deeper understanding of this idea of balancing, right? And balancing in so many different ways that you can do it. It's not just the qualities, it's not just the metabolic properties, but it's the taste, it's the season. I mean, and and you can go as deep as you want. I mean, I think, of course, mastery is always the goal. But when you first start, you can start with one, I feel like one component and that will that will be just some percentage better of how you're eating and you'll start feeling better and then you go deeper and deeper. At least that's the way it's been for me.
1: Yeah, it's been for me too. It's a very enriching experience. For our, to our listeners who feel that oh these are very foreign concepts yeah maybe it's unknown concepts but they just make so much sense um welcome them as enriching your human experience with food <laughs> right exactly exactly
0: okay so we're gonna move on because we could keep talking about so many things but we're going to move to fruits and so what are you know fruits are divided into some different subgroups but you know, how do we look at fruits from an Ayurvedic perspective?
1: So f- fruits in, in Ayurveda in Sanskrit, they're called varga. So pala means fruit and varga means group. So pala varga, um, well, they different types of fruits described based on like palm fruits, for example. So these are more Western categories, like palm fruits or apples and pears, they're, they come from the tree. Oh, quince. I love quince. My mom has quince trees. Or stone fruits, so the, the fruits that have a stone or a pit inside. Berries, obviously, is another category. And they grow different differently. They grow in, in bushes. Hmm. Citrus fruit is another category. And then there is a whole section of tropical and subtropical fruits. And that's for people eat, <laughs> living on the West Coast, I mean, on the Eastern Hemisphere with, for us, tropical fruits come from far away. But um, uh, yeah, so medicinal fruits also. So there are some specific medicinal fruits. Melons, you can look at melons. Now is the melon season. They're a different category. Ayurveda doesn't, to my knowledge, it doesn't have specific um, categories. And again, what was described in the ancient text is what was growing locally. So I don't think you'll find strawberries in the Ayurvedic text. They're just not. <laughs> they're not part of the climate, not part of the climate there. But there are also many fruits that were growing back then that are extinct today. Well, let's
0: talk about, you know, sort of what are some of the fruits that are considered maybe daily foods versus the medicinal ones? What are some things in general that are, I know there's a few fruits that are really very good for health for most people. Um, what are those fruits?
1: Well, like every food, you have to go with the season, because when when you pick a fruit that's in season, and when it's fully ripe, when you pick it, then it's most medicinal. So right now, berries are still in season. I, I was just at the farmers market; and they had these beautiful raspberries and blackberries. I, I'm still seeing strawberries at the farmers market, which surprised me, but they're there, and uh, so. Berries, for example, are very medicinal they're especially when they're sweet, they're kind of tolerated and nourishing for every dosha, and Of course, we know from a Western perspective, they're rich in antioxidants, they're delightful, they strengthen the immune system but uh, but then, uh, would you buy berries in January? <laughs> No. Um <laughs> uh, I, I sometimes I love berries and sometimes I'll buy a pack of raspberries in the middle of January and they tell you they're coming from somewhere in South America and they just don't have that taste. They don't have the same taste and flavor as they have them in when they're in season in the summer. So that's the main principle with fruit with any food, but especially with fruit, because to us the most delicious fruit is when fruit is juicy and sweet. How frustrating it is to buy a watermelon and open it up and you carry it, it's heavy, you cut it up, cut it open, and then you try it and it's just tasteless. It's not sweet enough. So that's <laughs> that's frustrating. The same with, with the other type of melons like honeydew or cantaloupe, you know, these kind of melons, they're really frustrating when they're not delicious, they're not sweet enough. So because of their sweetness and their juiciness, this is what is the most enjoyable part of fruit. Mm-hmm. Right.
0: And what would you say are some general guidelines on how to on how to eat fruits? Because, you know, in Ayurveda, the perspective on food is not just the food and all of its qualities and metabolic, you know, heating versus cooling properties and the taste and all those things. There's also an element of the way that you eat it and, and the order that you can mm. eat things for better digestion, because it's always about digestion, right? About keeping our microbiome healthy, about keeping our digestion strong and healthy, not, not overly strong, mm-hmm. but in a healthy place. So what are some rules with, not rules, or some guidelines on fruits? Because it's a little bit different than what we do in the Western world.
1: Yes. See, first of all, fruits unlike like vegetables most vegetables are better digested when cooked. With fruits, as long as they're ripe and sweet, and you're relatively healthy, you have good digestion, then you can enjoy them raw. So that's the first component. Main thing is that fruits digest very different than grains or lentils and beans or even vegetables. So it's always good to eat them alone, like by themselves. And Vitamisha used to say, if you have weak digestion it's better to cook the fruit especially if it's a fruit that can be cooked easily like apples and pears or or even blueberries some you can just add them to you the last five minutes of cooking your oatmeal or something like that because when you cook it it just becomes easier to digest you add that fire element to the food and it will be less agitating if you have ulcerative colitis or ulcer or Anything that's really inflamed in your gut, then you will be better digesting and absorbing the nutrients from slightly cooked fruit fruit, rather than raw fruit. It will be too agitating for your gut if it's raw and sour like that. But the other thing is just to, so yes, eat them alone, especially melons. I have to tell you, in in Bulgaria, people love eating watermelon with feta cheese. And I'm guilty of that. I used to eat it. My whole family loves this combo. But maybe because it's the sweetness of the watermelon, it's kind of watery, and then the heaviness and creaminess of the feta cheese, and combining them together, it's delightful for the tongue. But afterwards, you may not notice the digestive discomfort because you're just so used to being to having indigestion so much. So that's so melons, especially they should always be eaten alone for best digestion. And sometimes you go to you go to a party or even at food at grocery stores you can see these beautiful fruit carving or carved fruit arrangements have you seen those like a basket like a fruit basket beautifully carved and they don't think about digestion they just combine different colors of fruits to make it really pretty and provide variety i wouldn't recommend like mixing so many fruits together when you maybe you could have like Two types of strawberries, or like bear, like fruit of the same berries together. Kind of category mm-hmm. might be easier for you to digest. So don't don't mix too many. Yeah.
0: So, you know, like a fruit salad, not the best thing for your digestion. Yeah.
1: And what I grew up at the ashram, this was a standard breakfast in the summer. We would have fruit salads with yogurt.
0: Yes. So I was going to ask you about <laughs> that, the yogurt fruit combination. What's yeah, the perspective on that? that's a
1: recipe for congestion. Yes. <laughs> it's just so congestive it, or, or cottage cheese and fruit, fresh fruit at the end of lunch or at the end of your meal, which mm-hmm. a lot of people in France do that. But this mm-hmm. it just creates so much mucus in the gut and it causes so much congestion in your nose, and in, in your throat. Uh, so why do that to yourself? Just eat them separately.
0: Yeah, I've had to rehabilitate a few people in my family who really like to eat, you know, fruit with yogurt and we've really had to have some conversations around that. <laughs> it's a hard habit to break once you start getting into it, but I think that, you know, the people that I've talked with about this, they feel much better. They actually notice a difference mm-hmm. when they eat them separately. I know I really try to eat fruit, you know, together again, not too many varieties and usually try and space it at least 30 minutes before or after. Mm-hmm a meal or something else that I'm going to eat just to give that time for it to digest. Yeah,
1: that's a great practice. Even if you eat it like, especially if you eat it 30 minutes before your meal, because of the sourness, you know, the vitamin C, the tartness in the fruit, it will actually increase your agni and it will make you hungry for your main meal. So this is something sometimes I do that or like today, uh, we just finished our class, <laughs> both of us. Mm-hmm. And I was so mm-hmm. hungry and I ordered, I didn't have time to cook and I was too hungry. So I, I just called David's Kitchen and I said, hey, can you send me something from the restaurant? I have that luxury <laughs> because we have oh, a restaurant. Yes, it's <laughs> so amazing. I can just call and order from my restaurant. But, uh, and, and it was, I know it takes 30 minutes to get it. So I just cut a piece of fruit. And and just to satisfy my fire and then lunch, I was perfectly ready for lunch, like half an hour or so right later. So I like using also fruit, like single piece of fruit or individual fruits as a snack. And sometimes when I'm my meal is delayed or I'm traveling and I need to have a snack, I know that, oh, I'm not, I need to eat something now. <laughs> Usually fruit is very helpful as a snack yeah,
0: yeah absolutely so two really big takeaways from that eat the fruits that are in season try to get them when they're sweet because that's best for your digestion and eat them separately if you can those are some you know good guidelines for for fruit yeah and
1: sometimes i peel them i often peel them especially if you have more of a vata type of digestion you tend to get bloated and gassy so peeling the apple the pear even peel the plum sometimes or the on the, or the peaches, just peeling off that cellophane wrap around the fruit that's more fibrous and it can be more agitating to the gut. Um, yeah, that will also support digestion. And I have sometimes my students say, but all the nutrients are in the peel. <laughs> and I'm like, well, not all. But if you really want to save it, then especially if you're cooking the fruit, you can cook the apple Peel it and cook the peels and just eat the apples. So you're getting the nutrients that way, right? Exactly. Okay, let's move to nuts and
0: seeds. Yeah? Okay. So, what are some of the you know foods that are included? I mean, you know, we you know there's so many nuts and seeds, and this is an interesting one because uh, nuts are are technically fruits. Yes. Right. They're shell <laughs> fruits. Shell
1: fruits. Yes.
0: Right. What are some of the common nuts that are used in Ayurveda for healing properties?
1: Yeah, I mean, most of the nuts are shell. They come from trees. They're tree nuts. And the ones that the nut that Ayurveda glorifies as the best is almonds. So almonds, in general, nuts, I mean, think about the nut. They're very dry, dense, but they're also very fatty. They have a high fat content. So they they kind of moisturize the body as well. But because they're so dense and fatty, they're heavy to digest. And almonds are easier to digest, especially when they're soaked. So I always recommend soaking the almonds in just room temperature filtered or spring water. And then uh, sometimes I keep them in the fridge so they don't go bad. And then peel them and eat them as a snack. And it's so rejuvenating. Soaked nuts, uh, soaked almonds, because the water hydrates them and activates their digestive enzymes. They're really much easier to digest and not as acidic. Because the other problem with nuts, just raw nuts, what to speak of roasted nuts, is that they're quite acidic. Uh, So if you have acidity issues, yeah, and roasting them. If you have acidity issues, ooh. You will feel discomfort, but if you actually soak them, if you hydrate them Mm -hmm. that way, then you will not have acidity problems with eating that. Yeah.
0: So one thing that it's bringing up for me is a memory of, you know, when I was young, my grandfather, when he would come from India, he would soak five almonds in a little katori, a little bowl with fresh water every night for me and my sister. And he would peel them in the morning and then have us eat it as a brain food and it's a it's a really sweet memory that i have but i you know i have been doing that actually through this cancer journey i've been eating five almonds peeled and it just brings back those memories and i know so many of my friends who are south asian had grandparents or parents who did the same thing <laughs> so the soaked almonds thing is like something that many of our families do every morning we just take five before we would go to school or to work. what
1: what an expression of love. Like to peel to peel soaked nuts for somebody. (laughs) I do that for my husband every morning too. He really enjoys it. He (laughs) he enjoys them savory. So like a pinch of salt, small pinch of salt, and then a little bit of olive oil. He he has very Mm -hmm. high pitta high agni, so he's always on fire. So the soaked almonds with the olive oil really pacify his excessive hunger. And Mm-hmm. Yeah it's a great brain food. Did your mom eat soaked almonds when she was pregnant? <laughs>
0: when- I don't know, I'll have to ask her. She probably did, I'm sure. Because that I'm sure. Yeah, that's
1: did. a really good pregnant food during pregnancy. It really helps the baby develop properly and also they say in India if-, if the mother eats soaked almonds during pregnancy, her child will have these beautiful almond-shaped eyes. This is just a little folklore. But it's sweet. Yeah. It's personal. Uh,
0: It's very sweet. It's very sweet. The other question I had about nuts for you is cashews. You know, we in vegetarian cooking, in vegan cooking, there's a lot of use of cashews mm. for making creams and milks or like to to create, you know, thicken something. What's the perspective on cashews?
1: Yeah, well, cashews are one of the heaviest nuts to digest, first of all. They're much easier when you soak them. And the thing is, when you soak them and blend them, they develop this very creamy consistency. So I use them as a a vegan substitute for cream and like raw desserts. You can see in my first book, I have this raw lemon, no, what do you call it? Lime. I forget the name of the recipe. I haven't made it. Lime mousse. Yeah, I call it a lime mousse. So yes, and you can use it in coffee. You can use it in many different things. Just keep in mind that it's, Heavy to digest. And also, in general, if you're struggling with acidity, your best nut to eat would be almonds and maybe also pine nuts. Technically, they're seeds, they're not really nuts. Uh, But pine nuts and almonds will be the least, it will give you the least acidity trouble. Yeah, you have to be careful with that. And if you enjoy cashews, don't eat them every day. You know, like you don't have to eat nuts every day. (laughs) Um, and especially so they're especially seasonal in the cold weather so and the fall like early like fall winter less in spring because in spring we need lighter foods but because they're heavy they're best digested in the cold weather and also you can see I mean when do you harvest them I remember my grandparents because they had walnut trees and hazelnut trees (laughs) and and I would watch them so they would harvest the nuts around this time and then, which is kind of mid-September, and then they will preserve them and keep them for the winter. Because in the winter, we don't have access to a lot of fresh fruit in the Northern Hemisphere. So dry fruit and nuts more seasonal, and that's when traditionally we use them more in the winter. Right.
0: And also the qualities of them, right? They're also balancing the quality of the colder weather in the Northern Hemisphere. So that's another principle, Right. They're balancing out some of the dryness, the coldness with some of that, you know, heaviness and moisture and fat, sort of the oiliness, right? It helps to balance out that dryness, the air ether sort of qualities of winter and fall. So that's a good thing. One other question about nut butters. Nut butters are so popular (laughs) in Western cuisine. I know you feel strongly about this. (laughs) I know.
1: People are shocked when I tell them nut butter is very clogging for your arteries and your gut. And they're like, what? Um, Because, I mean, just think about the texture of the nut butter. It's so thick and sticky. So when you eat very thick and sticky foods, they will stick in (laughs) your. They will create stickiness inside your body. And this leads to blockages, this leads to clogging, and especially making the bile, making your bile very thick and sludgy. S- nut butter is a classic bile thickener. <laughs> and when the bile is too thick, it's just you're not digesting your food, you're getting constipated, you're feeling that sluggishness and heaviness all over your body. But We need our bile to be moving <laughs> and And nut butters and others, even sunflower butter, it's a seed butter. It's just anything that's sticky like that and heavy will will produce blockages in the body. Right. Okay.
0: And then the last question for this episode is just seeds. Any idea, any thoughts on seeds? I mean, there's sesame, sunflower, pumpkin, hemp, flax, chia. I mean, these are all being, you know, sort of touted in Western medicine as having so many nutrients and we should use them. Thoughts on seeds. I know a lot of them were written about in the Ayurvedic text. Yes, right? yes.
1: I mean, there are many seeds. The seeds are definitely easier to digest. They're smaller. Um, and some I love sunflower seeds. They're very rich in protein. Sunflower seeds have almost the same amount of protein as beef, <laughs> but they're much, much easier to digest. Yeah. So I like soaking them also. We make sunflower milk as a dairy, dairy alternative. We make our vegan cheese at Divis Kitchen with soaked sunflower seeds. And they're also less expensive, so they're more affordable. It's just their texture and color may not be as pleasing as almond milk or cashew milk, but they're a great alternative and very nourishing. And you can also roast them. The other good seed is sesame seed. So sesame seeds are highly regarded in Ayurveda, very rich in calcium, Keep in mind that they're easier to digest and it's easier to absorb the calcium when you dry toast the sesame seeds first. I like a little calcium snack, like a bo- bone and tooth building snack. I Sometimes I make is just dry toast, two tablespoons of sesame seeds. White or unhauled or, or halt the no, not polished, the sesame seeds that are just halt and they're not polished, they kind of have a grayish color. Yes, they have more nutrients, but they're also a lot more bitter. So a lot of people don't like that. And the white sesame seeds are just more pleasant as a culinary experience, uh, especially if you're serving them to people who are not 100% committed to eating healthy and <laughs> they can tolerate the bitter. So white two tablespoons of white sesame seeds, toast them in a pan, dry pan on low heat until they kind of become a little rosy like light tan color they become a little more oily and bigger you have to do this slowly and then let them cool and add a teaspoon of honey and this is a really quick Mm. dessert (laughs) that will it's delicious delicious. it will not increase your blood sugar but it also if you eat it and chew the seeds really well it will Mm -hmm. help to build build bone tissue okay that's amazing i I just wanted to mean they're flax seeds chia seeds hemp seeds Very much used Mm in, and pumpkin seeds, of course, very much used, especially in vegan cuisine. I'm not a big fan of them. Vidal always told me, my teacher, Vidal always told me pumpkin seeds are more clogging, so they can produce clogging in the body. And something about flax seeds, because yes, they have the omegas and this and that, the good fiber, but they're actually extremely heating. They produce a lot of heat in the liver and the spleen. Vitamishra always told us, don't, don't use them regularly. Only use them as medicine. Don't use them regularly in your regular cooking because it will produce too much heat in your body. Okay. Got it. Got it. That's
0: We've, we've covered a lot. We've done vegetables. We've done fruits, nuts, and seeds in this part two of our food series of our Ayurvedic Perspective on Food Groups. So We're going to stop our conversation and then we'll continue it next week for part three, in which we'll get into dairy, herbs, spices, oils, and a little bit of a conversation around meat to round out the discussion. Vivia, thank you as always for all of your beautiful knowledge and wisdom. It's priceless to me and so many people. And I just, I'm so grateful to you for your generosity of time and energy and wisdom and knowledge. So thank you for doing this with me. So kind
1: of you, thank you. It's by definitely not my knowledge. I'm just repeating what I've learned, and I'm also very grateful to uh, to to all my teachers that continue to teach me, and so that I can share with others as well. So priceless, very sacred knowledge by Ayurveda that benefits all of us. Yeah. So thank you. <laughs> yes thank you
0: thanks again for listening to The Healing Catalyst if you love what you heard please hit follow and pass it along to a friend and if you're feeling really inspired please rate and review so that others can find this podcast more easily to learn more head to AvantiKumarSingh.com and to connect with me directly find me on Instagram at Singh. I'll be back next week and hope that you will be too Until then, remember, with the right catalyst, you have the power to activate your own healing because healing starts within.